Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. So tonight, um, it's just called We All Fall Short, and I just want to, a little bit of highlights out of Romans 3 and, 3 and 4, and I know we all fall short, that's a fact, but it's not to focus you on your weakness, but it's also to help you not hide from your weakness. Um, we've got to be able to admit our weakness to God. Adam, when he sinned and God came looking for him, I just kind of rephrased it in my own language. Um, it's like he said to God, you know, something, so we hid. We realised we fell short and we hid. We're not supposed to do that. Jesus went to a lot of trouble to die because of our weakness, so he likes it when we present ourselves with our weakness to him and go, I'm struggling in this area and I need help. He likes that. He doesn't condemn you for that. He's not embarrassed about that. And tonight's message is about trying to give you confidence before the throne of God or when you're with God because that'll make a real difference in your life. And I notice the Bible doesn't hide great men's mistakes. You know, all the famous guys, Abraham with his lying, David with his adultery and murder, Elijah with his fear and anxiety and suicidal tendencies, Peter with his denial and bossiness, Thomas with his unbelief and backsliddenness, and Moses, you know, with his act, we had a little bit of an anger problem, but they were still great men. Bob says, a righteous man, though he falls seven times, rises again. So when God calls a, man's, a man righteous, it doesn't mean he's perfect, but it means he's got this humble, good attitude that God likes. But guess what? He still needs work. He still needs the Holy Spirit. He still needs God. Um, so let me just read to you some, some scriptures out, out of Romans, and we'll just, we'll just cover some ground. Um, all right, Romans, 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 Romans 3 and 4. So let me just read a couple of scriptures to you. I'll read about half a dozen. Um, Romans, so Romans is one of kind of the early Paul's letters. And when I first got saved, I was brought up in a legalistic church. And Romans is the book that transformed me more than any other book of the Bible as far as theology and getting right understanding of what God's about. Because I know what it is to be condemned. I know what it is at Indigo. I can't keep the commandments. I give up because I'd keep eight and break two. I'd keep six and break four. I'd keep nine and break one. I was never out of breaking one of the commandments. So I gave up. I said, I can't pull it off. I'm going to hell. I might as well live it up anyway. And then at 26, God met me and kind of hit me over the back of the head and helped me understand a few things. And I started this journey. And Romans has helped. So We'll look at chapter 3 and 4. Chapter 3, verse 10, the second part. There is no one righteous, not even one. Whoa. But I was brought up that the Pope was perfect and the priests were perfect and the nuns were perfect. So that shocked me. No one, not even one. Whoa. Verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law, Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Um, Verse 23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace. So you get the bad news and the good news together. I love that, because God doesn't just give you the bad news without hope. There's stuff to face, but then he gives you the hope. Justified freely by his grace. So even on our best day, we fall short. 
you know, when I had my knee replacement recently, you go through a lot of pain, don't you, Kate? You're a nurse, you know. You go through a lot of pain. Then you've got to work your way down off all the painkillers. So every three or four days, as you feel like you're getting on top of the pain, you've got to go through the pain again because you go down a level. And you, so there's this endless pain thing for about three or four weeks. And I can remember thinking at the end of four weeks, uh, God, there's a scripture that says, he who has suffered has ceased from sin. Well, I've suffered a lot the last four weeks, so I've probably ceased from sin. Are you, you must be really pleased with me, you know, because I've ceased from sin, man. And the Holy Spirit just quickens to me. He said, yeah, but yesterday Ross found out there's a tumour on her foot and you were really pleased because she never has any pain in her legs and you were quite pleased about it. I went, oh, sorry, God, that's really bad, eh? But when I said, sorry, God, I know I've still got to apologise to you. I'm not quite there yet. Um, <laughs> but when I realised what a bad attitude it was, I used to swear word when I spoke to God. And he goes, and there you just swore at me. So it was like at the instant of me thinking, I've ceased from sin, all he has to do is just turn up the brightness a little bit and, I, and he can show you your falling shortness. If he doesn't do it to condemn you, he does it so you know you need him. Okay. Uh, all right, this, chapter 4, just a few verses, um, or really just one. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed. So even though we want to earn God's pleasure sometimes, you have to push that out. Jesus, while we were yet sinners, died for us. So while you're at your worst, he's prepared to die. So that's an incredible love. And when we stand in that sort of grace, that sort of grace can always give us hope. And what's amazing about it is when you completely rely on God for your salvation to get you home to heaven, he can guarantee it to you. Why can he guarantee it? Because he can only guarantee it if it totally depends on him. That's why the idea is we're supposed to put our life into his hands and go, I can't get myself there. Could you please save me? It's no good going, I'm not as bad as Hitler. Like, yeah, forget about all that. Just, I can't get there. Okay. Okay. And if I could just say this last verse. Um, in Romans 5, 2, it's kind of almost the crux of the whole of the letter of Romans as we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So... Even though, you know, faith's essential, what it does, faith plugs you into the power of God. The power's not in your faith. The power's in God's grace. All right, that'll do. Let me, let me just share with you a little bit. Um, uh, we're at, uh, last weekend we were, we were up uh, the Hunter Valley and we went to Harrigan's Pub for a meal because Ros, I like the Guinness and Ros likes the, the pie. What's the pie called? Yeah, but it's some other name. Anyway, it's like an Irish stew pie thing, um, which they use Guinness to make. So she's just as bad as I am. Anyway, Ross wants a drink. And I go up to the bar. So it's only been, you know, six or seven weeks since my operation. And when I've sat down for a long time, my leg freezes up and it takes about 12 steps to get going and, and then I'm all right. So anyway, there's no one at the bar. And the barman sees me coming and I'm like... <laughs> And he goes, sorry, mate, responsible service of alcohol can't help you. <laughs> he thinks I'm off my face. And I go, no, mate, I've got a new knee. He goes, oh, I can tell from your voice that you're not drunk, so that's okay. <laughs> but I thought, really, that's what it's like when we walk up to God. You, you don't kind of stagger up and go, 
here I am, I'm really good, you know, you've got to bless me now. Whoa, no, no, no. Even when we're walking in a straight line to him, we, we look staggered. Do you know what I mean in our walk? So I think that's just a good, a good representation of what it's like when we, when we approach God. What's this, this fact? This, this threw me. I only learnt this in my 60s. God allows areas of weakness to stay in you. Remember Paul talked about um, thorn in his flesh. He pleaded with God three times to take it away and God left it there. So God allows areas of weakness to stay in you. Here's six reasons why. This is not perfect teaching but it's just some stuff that'll help you understand weird kingdom principles that you've got to get used to being in because they actually rule your life more than what you realise. So God will allow some of your weaknesses to stay in you so that A, you need to learn to walk by faith because without faith it's impossible to please God. B, so you learn to trust him and not yourself or someone else. It's a big lesson in life, bringing yourself back to learning to trust God again. C, so you can recognise him in the fire with you. When you can do that, it makes you unafraid of the future because you realise while God may not take you out of the circumstance you want him to, he will come into it with you and protect you. And, and you know, the three guys in the Bible are thrown in the fire and they came out of the fire with no smell of smoke upon them. So all of you, everyone in this room, would have had significant trials in your life and it's probably a testimony to how you've come through those that you're sitting there tonight in church wanting more of God. So there's no smell of smoke on you. Um, the principle of resistance makes us stronger in this life. This life is not meant to be heaven. This life is about trials and overcoming them to help prepare us for there. We need grace so we learn to be gracious with others. That's one of the main reasons we need to learn to walk in grace. It's not just for ourselves because some people are really hard to be gracious to. But we, we gradually learn to be gracious with others. Um, we overcome our weakness by walking humbly before God, not by our own strength. It's just interesting. Um, I was just reading today, Gideon. It's just a classic in Judges 6 and 7, but this thing happens where God calls him a man of valour and he's not. He's actually a coward at the time, but God does this real work in him that's incredible. But he, he has to lead the nation in fighting an enemy. So he gathers 32,000 men and God comes and meets with him and said, um, I don't want you to fight with the 32,000. You've got too many because, and, and it says this in chapter 7, verse 2, I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me my own strength to save me. It's really clear in the Bible that God is not into your strength saving you. He wants to be the saviour. But that's such good news. That's so much easier than you saving yourself. So... Gideon trims it to 22,000. He goes, okay, we just lost 10,000. It's like, it's like when an NRL team has a guy sent off in the first 10 minutes and you think, this is going to be a tough game. We're playing a play short. It's like that. But then God goes, no. So then he's down to 10,000. Now he's got almost no hope of winning the war and God goes, you've still got too many and he trims it to 300. But with the 300, God has a way that they win the battle, and it's after that that Gideon becomes the man of valour 
that God talks about because he knows completely and utterly against 30,000 invaders with 300 men, God enabled him to win. So he has this newfound confidence in God. And that's what our trials in our life are supposed to do for us. They gradually increase our confidence in God because we came through that. Therefore, we're less afraid of the next one. It's just, I, I, I love that, that, that Gideon story. Even with Peter, a guy named um, Brian Simmons that David and I love, he's, he's the author with someone else of the, the Passion Translation. He says this quote about Peter, because, you know, like Peter you know, had bravado and he'd step out of the boat. He was a good guy. But he'd just get it wrong sometimes, eh? Like he walks on the water, but then he sinks and he tells Jesus, oh, I'll never let you go to Jerusalem. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Then he denies, but he comes short. But he dies a martyr. So this whole journey happens where he learns to, to bow the knee. And, and Brian Simmons says this, Peter's presumption was cured by his weakness being discovered and exposed. Now, that's not much fun for any of us, especially if you're in a marriage or a relationship. You'll know as your weaknesses get exposed, it's not much fun. But if you humble yourself and work the right way on those things, you, you find the marriage or the partnership can become stronger and stronger. And, and Peter was forced to be confronted with himself and his failures. And as he learnt to trust God, he, he came to an incredible place. And God, God didn't condemn him. He still used him to be the head of the early church. Okay, so two points. First, faith must be tried or it can't live. Your faith through trials glorifies God and gives you credibility with him. Um, I like, you know, if I'm picking teams for things, I like people on there who have been through stuff and come out the other side. You know they've got value. You don't want someone really on any team in the church that's just going to go, hey, everyone, just do what I do and you'll be okay. I'm pretty special. Like, you just like, we're all like, yeah. <laughs> um, we're, we're past that now. Um, just some good quotes on this. A uh, famous missionary named Paul Brand said, those who bear up under pain know more happiness than those who avoid it. Leo Tolstoy, the famous author, he said, among Christians you'll find the best people on earth and the nastiest. It's true. And a, and a famous theologian who's been lots of different things, Henry Nguyen, who I love, he says, God loves us because of who he is, not because of who we are. Nothing more than that statement changed my understanding of God's love for me more than that statement. It's an incredible statement because of who he is. So, the devil now finds it really hard to convince me that God doesn't like me because I know that truth. It's an incredible truth. He says this, truth can make you look bad, but agree with it and it sets you free. So, hey, I don't like the truth sometimes either, but it's my friend to set me free once I can embrace it. So there's a bit of a deal there. Um, Brian Simmons' version of Colossians 2.14, I want you to hear this. This is incredible because... The enemy will convince you that you fall short, but in a way that makes you feel condemned and that you'll never make it. But here's what Colossians 2.14 in the Passion Translation. He, meaning Jesus, cancelled out every legal violation on our record. And the old arrest warrant that stood to condemn us, he erased it all. Our stained soul washed clean. Everything we were in Adam has been nailed permanently to his cross 
as a public display of the cancellation of our punishment. Oh, meditate on that for 10 minutes and you'll just walk around in gratitude to God for weeks on end. Because it's, when you're standing in grace and appreciating what Jesus has done, it's really hard to say you don't want to sin. But when you're striving and pushing through to try and prove how good you are and how righteous you are, we're so easily taken into sin because it kind of takes us into just such a short step to pride once we get into striving. Second point, we are learning to walk the same road but in a different way. Um, the other morning I shared, um, two weeks after I got my new knee, I couldn't walk very well. So Ros and I wanted to go, I wanted to get out of the house, so we went grocery shopping. So she's pushing me in a wheelchair, but we can't fit all the groceries. So then we get a shopping trolley, and I'm sitting in the wheelchair pushing the shopping trolley, and she's pushing the wheelchair. So we're like this big, long train in Coles at Belmont. Now, it starts off good because I'm pretty bossy, and when we get to the aisle I want to go down, I don't say anything, I just point. And Ross turns down the aisle and I'm thinking, this is working like a dream. She does everything I want. But I made a big mistake. I thought I was in the position of power. But I wasn't. She was. And my wife doesn't like me bossing around. So by the next time I go like this, she goes the opposite way every time I do it. But because I lean the trolley a certain way, now we've got to swing back around. So we swing around like this, knocking people over and bumping things off shelves. People are running for their lives. I had to learn the lesson. I thought the power was in me and it wasn't. And I think that's the whole journey of our Christianity, of learning that the power is in God. It's, it's not actually in us. And the faith plugs us into that power. Um, 1 Kings 19, Elijah, one of the greatest men of the Old Testament, just has this incredible encounter with God that I think helps us all understand ourselves. Because he's like he's a power pack, this guy, and he just has this, wins this incredible battle against the priests of Satan, you know, and calls down fire from heaven and it comes down. But then Jezebel, a really powerful woman, threatens his life and he, he does a runner, he panics, he gets overwhelmed. Elijah was afraid. This is in uh, 1 Kings 19. I'll just read a few little bits. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And he ran like 20 k's, like, like a marathon. And he's exhausted and he hasn't been eating and he's stressed out. And he, and he lies down and he said, God, just take my life. Like he's quite suicidal. Um, an angel comes to minister to him and says, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. You're, you're not looking after yourself. Then he went into a cave and spent the night. And God meets with him. He goes, what are you doing here, Elijah? Go out and stand in the presence of God. And there's a mighty wind, a mighty earthquake, a mighty fire. But God's in none of them. And he's in the gentle whisper. He learns that it's not about the spectacular and calling down fire from heaven. But it's the still small voice. It's not in what you see. It's in what you hear from God. That's the important thing. God says a second time, what are you doing here? He goes, but I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. And God just says one more sentence and goes silent. Go back the way you came. And it's a pretty scary direction. So he has to go back the way he came but with a different attitude. Knowing that, he's going to have to face the giant that's trying to kill him. The funny thing is he obeys and he goes back that way with his new attitude and he doesn't have to do anything because Jezebel doesn't even show up. The, 
that problem's already been dealt with. So, so often in obedience, you don't have to go and fight the job, it's already taken care of, but the, the victory's in the, in the obedience, not, not in your strength. And when you're obedient, God kind of takes care of the rest. Or if you do have to have a fight, like David with Goliath, he'll, he'll tell you what to do and, and how to do it. Um, and I, I was just thinking about your generation. I've got so much to learn from your generation, especially on equality. I was brought up, you know, in legalism and hierarchies and da, da, da. And, and, I, and I think in some ways honouring is an important principle, but I think we often gave too much honour and too much power to, pe- to people over us, like the respect's good, but I just you just got to be careful of that. And I found this quote by a lady named Brené Brown, and I just love it. And, you know, it's for me to learn. I think you guys get this as a younger generation because we live in an age of equality. And as she said this, compassion is not a relationship between the healer and the wounded. It's a relationship between equals. Only when we admit our own darkness or weakness can we be truly present with the darkness of another person. Compassion becomes real when we recognise our shared humanity with them. There's so much power in that if you can be with someone who's struggling, but be with them in that way. Not shooting your mouth off, not taking control, but just just being with them and learning how to be with them in empathy and being in the same boat. Man, that that makes a a difference in life. Um, I'll finish with this. God cannot bless who we pretend to be. And and that's why I preached tonight's message, because I think the whole thing of, you know, lift the bar, raise the standard, measure up, try harder. Yeah, I think it creates, puts pressure on people to create false image of themselves, and it's not good. God cannot bless who you pretend to be. Your emotions, you know, your, your emotional and mental well-being will follow the narrative that you create about yourself. So it's really important for us to be truthful about what our narrative is because when we go through trauma, we very easily distort the facts and can, and can make it sound kind of catastrophic what we've been through. But we've got to learn to bring ourselves back to a place of evenness and, and just tell the truth to ourselves about our own story first. And that's why I want you to know that in that, you can bring your own story to God. God, here I am. I'm good at this. I'm bad at that. I stuffed that up. I had a great victory here. But here we are together. And to just live in that place and work with God out of that place. I have to do it when I, every time I get up to preach. I look at my message a minute before I get up and I think, oh my God, I've got nothing. What do I do now? It happens every time because I know it's not good enough. I know I fall short, but I've just got to go. Well, you call me. You chose me. Please help me. And it's just really important that I do that each time before I get up. Not in fear, but just in confidence. I know you're going to be there because you always, you call me to do it. So you show up and you're in it with me. And there we go. And I think that's a great approach at life for you. Thanks, pretty. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au.